Welcome to Power Surge. I'm Alex Epstein in Orange County, California. Stefan Hen is joining me from Germany. Stefan, welcome. Hello, everyone. All right. Yesterday, I went on a long monologue, hopefully an important monologue, about uh, Paul Krugman and more broadly the uh, the very, very bad and thinking and uh, and the intimidation practiced by certain experts, including Krugman. Uh, today we're going to go into multiple stories, and let's start out with, uh, there's a, an interesting story from India involving Greenpeace. Stefan, what's going on there? Um, there has been a leak by the Intelligence Bureau of India, which is a federal spy service, I would say, um, and they accused Greenpeace and other lobby groups um, of hurting the economic progress of India. Uh, by campaigning against power projects mining and genetically modified food. Um, and yeah, that has uh, Greenpeace answered that it, it does not block economic expansion, but they are uh, merely for sustainable growth in these regions. And um, of course, some would say sustainable growth, the definition of that is that you are blocking some economic growth for other goats. Yeah, I, I see in the story, Greenpeace denied it was trying to block economic expansion. Is it? But it's, it's just yeah. trying to block everything that is required for economic expansion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are targeting specific uh, projects, of course, like uh, hydroelectric dams and um, certain agricultural technologies, like uh, GMOs and so on. And that's certainly having an economic impact, but it also has, um, in the context of India and other poor countries, uh, have some other implications, like uh, it threatens actual survival of people there. You know, large parts of India still have uh, lack the access to electricity, for example. Yeah, I noticed there's... Um they're talking about how one interesting aspect is the donors for these kinds of projects are in the U.S., the U.K., Germany, and the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, from the perspective of India, that's, of course, in itself somewhat suspicious. Of course, I mean, these are the, uh, quote-unquote, rich countries where, uh, you know, the majority of people who donate to these international lobby groups come from. But that's, of course, seen in India as a foreign influence, which is hurting their economy. Yeah, and more importantly, it's it's hurting. I mean, they mentioned in the story that economic growth has fallen to below 5%. They talk about choking off investment and jobs for millions of youth entering the workforce. And this is this is a dynamic that happens in any country where you choke off these kinds of projects, where you know, your your ability to uh, to create wealth ultimately to improve your life or to sustain your life is is restricted but you I think they notice it much much more because so many people there are just are desperately poor and, and somebody somebody literally can't uh, get a job or, or at least huge parts of the population are are almost guaranteed to be in really really bad shape um, I, what one thing I I wonder about one thing I think there's potential for, is to rally some of these people and use their stories internationally. That is to take on the groups by 
by getting together some of these leaders and to put forward some sort of coherent policy, um, at, at least at least tell their story, because there's this untold story of you know, self-righteous people in the United States, in Europe, who are saying to people, you're not allowed to build, you're not allowed to improve your life, and it's just not that's that's not being told. What they're being told is all they're doing is, uh, you know, they're sort of saving polar bears and not much else, or you know, they're, they're saving the planet from frying. But it's just it's just viewed as this pure benefit, and then the only people against them are these evil deniers. Whereas, you know, what they're evading or or denying is that there are billions of people trying to improve their lives using fossil fuel energy, and they, uh, among other industrial activities, and they're getting in the way. Yeah, and something uh, to add to that is that, um, you know, when you restrict certain forms of energy like fossil fuel energy in a country like the United States or Germany or some other rich first world country, um, that's one thing. It's costly and it might even kill some people, but it's not that obvious uh, that it does actual physical damage to the life expectancy of people. But in these countries, um, it, it's really visible that it's hurting the poor. And those people are not well connected. They can't start a campaign and not, uh, you know, run a TV ad, how horrible the consequences. They just die from starvation or some other, uh, like a disease or something. And that's really, I think the the important thing about the story is that it's hurting the poor people of India when uh, company, when uh, organizations like Greenpeace uh, restrict their access to energy, to cheap, plentiful energy. I mean, it's 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 a it's an interesting aspect of this activism that engaging in it requires a high standard of living because. It yeah. just as, as energy and productivity buy you time to do anything. So, so part of what you need time for is to not, if, if you want to be an activist, you, you have to have bundles and bundles of time on your hands, whether you're, you're feeding off your regular job or whether you're feeding off your parents or whether you're feeding off the welfare state. Somebody, you have to be in a country, if there's a lot of you, that where a lot of wealth creation is possible, that means a lot of energy. So it's it's very, very easy to... Uh, it, it's 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 a really important point that there are a whole lot of people who are silent in effect because they don't have the time and resources to be heard, which are related to the time and resources to uh, to survive. So I think that even there, there's an opportunity for someone with time and resources, like CIP or someone else, to to start telling these stories more more concretely because you don't get them enough in the news. And then there's another story from India. Um, what's that about? Um, yeah, the Indian government uh, has decided to invest in uh, three rail railway lines um, that transport uh, coal from remote mines uh, to the power plants. Um, and uh, as you know, a large part of India's uh, power sector is under governmental control. Um, uh, until the 1970s and 1980s, uh, India was a very central planning and uh, socialist country. Uh, and there's still something visible in the energy sector there. 
So they make the big decisions for investment and they uh, want to invest in these railway lines to transport more of the domestic coal production to the power plants. Uh, they are importing right now large amounts of coal from other countries because they lack the infrastructure to bring these uh, coal resources. They are actually, I think, the third largest coal deposits as in India. Uh, in India and um, yeah, they can't use them right now with the given infrastructure. So they are building the economy on coal in the future. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's good news that someone, and particularly in relation to the last item with Greenpeace holding back industrial progress, that somebody uh, somebody is actually doing it. And this you know this connects to uh, new design we won't really get into today, but the the story about Tesla opening up its patents and the I mean, that, that in and of itself, no, I don't have an opinion on, but just the, the justification being, you know, we need to get out of a carbon, uh, a carbon crisis, you know, carbon, and, and really the crisis is, is a lack of carbon-based energy. And, and there's a, an important point with anyone like Elon Musk or, or people who do, in many ways, very good things, that they can completely undercut that by advocating policies that prevent people from improving their lives, and there's an interesting, interesting thing with Bill Gates too, where this is not exactly in our field. Although, you know, what he does, for example, in the realm of health, because he's he's not very pro DDT. Uh, I think in part he he likes taking politically correct positions. You know, that's he does a lot as far as malaria goes, but he's undercutting some of the fundamental solutions. And in education, he's pushed forward this common core, which I'm, I'm not an expert in. Um, but the parts I've seen have been very unimpressive, and certainly the parts where they have propaganda about CO2 and climate change, and only, I look through the, the fossil fuel and environment parts, and they only have negatives, essentially, and no positives, so you get no sense of the actual impact of energy in creating a better environment. All you get is the sense of, oh, there might be a moderate crisis, and there might, or there might be an extreme crisis. That, that's the it's the range that you get, um, leaving aside whether this is an issue that should even be discussed in high school, given how little scientific understanding most students are going to have. Um, but it's just an important point that you have to look at just, you know, with a person, just as with anything, you have to look at the positives and the negatives. So with a person, you have to, and often a person, this is an extension in a sense of the idea that an expert can overstep his bounds, and so the expert might do very good work in his field and then overstep it. And we talked about this on, on yesterday's power surge. Um, what you can also have is you can have an entrepreneur or businessman who does very, very good work, but then oversteps his bounds in the name of, well, I'm a businessman, I can get things done, I'm going to apply to this other realm. But without the same knowledge or thought put into, uh, you know, the basics, what am I doing, what's the right way to approach this, uh, particularly even what's the goal, and they can do an enormous amount of damage. And one, one person that w had the opposite attitude that I admire for this and many other reasons was Steve Jobs, who was very, very focused on, I'm going to do my work in my field really, really well, and admitting often that he did not know about these other things. And if you look at his successor, Tim Cook at Apple, and what Apple's doing, uh, I guess the exception that would be putting Al Gore on the board. So that, that was horrific. Um, so I have to say that. But 
you look at Apple's doing now and making public statements on these things, it's it's just enormously destructive. And people have no idea. When they do this bandwagon kind of thing, it feels safe because there are other experts and it's just dangerous for, for everyone. Uh, Stefan, any thoughts on that? No, not particularly. I think I said it well and <laughs> included everything. Okay. Well, thanks for the affirmation. Let's talk about... <laughs> Uh, last story is going to be EPA. What's going on with the EPA? Um, yeah, that's not actually a new development. Um, back in April, there was a new rule proposal titled The Definition of Waters of the United States under the Clean Water Act. Um, and part of that change is that um, the EPA wants to remove uh, the word navigable from the uh, from this law. Um, which enables the EPA to regulate navigable waters in the United States. And uh, this uh, has some implications, especially in the agricultural sector, because, um, you know, if you interpret this a certain way, this can mean that the EPA can regulate all kinds of water bodies, no matter, no matter how small they are um, within the United States. And, um, no, that would mean... Uh, massive increase in the powers of the EPA with regard to especially agriculture, but also many other industries. So what would be some examples of, of the expansion of the power? Well, for example, if you have a small remote uh, body of water like a lake where some local agriculture industry um, takes its water to irrigate the crops, from the EPA could say, well, that's a wetland habitat and you can't take any water without permission mm. from there. Even though that's not a gable water. And this is actually a process that has been going on for more than 10 years, according to some commentators, because the EPA tries to um, redefine what actually is a navigable water um, by including all kinds of water bodies that are connected to some stream or, um, yeah, big lake or something like that. It seems like there's an even greater than usual attempt by EPA to expand its powers in the last two years or so. Yeah, it might be that this is coincidental because all the rules are due within the... Uh, um, Obama administration uh, time period, um, uh-huh. but yeah, it certainly looked that way. That the EPA is trying to expand its powers and responsibilities. It's actually a good example of a bureaucracy gone rogue, I would say. Yeah, and the idea of of not having a government of laws, where you can you can pass a law with that. I don't think that law should have been passed. But you pass a law for these kinds of agencies and then they do things like propose rules or adopt powers or get power or get executive orders and that's completely detached from the legislative process which is at least supposed to have a lot of thinking built into it and you know a public discussion but if you just if you pass a law there's a concept of okay now we've made a decision but you've really just given a bunch of people a bunch of guns to dictate everything and then they can you know they have all sorts of reasons and incentives to do what they will 
with that and you know it's it's not i mean putting things up for vote is, is no panacea but it's it's not really up for discussion except in the sense of oh you can send a public comment but versus you know, at least when you if you had a law up for debate you could say okay these this is the this is what we're proposing this is what someone else is proposing or this is why the status quo is better than this new law and um, yeah so it's just another way in which there isn't a law in, in the proper sense of a term of the term and that, that works to the advantage almost always works to the advantage of people who want to control our lives more uh, people are rarely going to EPA to say hey I'm gonna I'm gonna scrap a lot of these rules. I'm I'm a free marketer. I'm pro liberty, and I'm gonna go into one of these regulatory agencies and really <sighs> liberate things. I've I've never heard of that before. I have heard of people who have a, a lot of ideas about new rules they want to pass. Yeah, it certainly attracts a certain. It tends to attract a certain kind of people that um, are pro big government. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, we are 17 minutes in, so that's that's a good time to stop. Any final thoughts, Stefan? Um, yeah. So I would say EPA is power grabbing and India is making progress despite some roadblocks from um, organizations like Greenpeace. Yeah. And so if you look at what the but the Western world is contributing to this. It's contributing, uh, you know, bleeding itself and then trying to bleed India, but India is less willing to be bled. So yeah. it's uh, be better to be infusing ourselves with blood, so to speak. And yeah, besides that, that's, that's all I got. I hope everyone has a good weekend. Enjoy living in the prosperous country that we still uh, live in and we'll talk to you next week Stefan I'll talk to you on Monday okay thank you until then all right have fun everyone